everybody. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Sisters podcast, where we give you our point of view. I'm Tamia Harper, and I'm joined by my sisters, Yvette blackman Tom, Hello. And Sabrina Wood. Whoop, whoop. And we have an amazing guest here today. We are really excited to bring this guest to you all. Um, and I'm going to let Sabrina do the introductions because I might fan out a fangirl a little bit too hard. So go <laughs> for it, Sabrina. Thanks, Tamia. Yes, everybody. We have Mark Scott Secree here. Yes, can we all hear it? Yay! And if you don't know who Mark is, shame on you, Star Trek fans, but I will break it down for you. Anyway, Mark is an American sci-fi author, television writer, screenwriter. He's written for all the major studios, networks, including Paramount, Universal, Disney, Sony, Columbia, MGM, New Line, CBS, NBC, ABC, Sci-Fi, Discovery, Nickelodeon, Network. I mean, all the letters. Everybody. When you go on his... When you go on his... um, YouTube page, and he says that he's done 100 hours of TV. My man is not lying, all right? <laughs> Everything you ever saw, Mark wrote something in it. But what we are talking to him about today is one of our absolute favorite Star Trek uh, episodes ever. Not in Deep Space Nine, not in Disney one particular franchise. I mean, of all friggin' time. And we ever, are going to talk about ever, 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 ever. ever, ever. We are talking about Far Beyond the Stars. And in honor of the 24th anniversary of the telecast of the show, we have the author of the story here. And he's going to break it down and tell us how this incredible story came to be. Welcome, Mark Scott Secure. Yay! It's great to be here. It's really great to be here. And I really appreciate this opportunity. Um, well, you know, Star Trek, Star Trek uh, the original Star Trek debuted when I was 10. And it was, it just blew my mind. It was unlike any TV show that had ever been done before. I recorded it on reel-to-reel audio tape in case it never aired again, because that was the best that I could do at that time. There were no VCRs. There was no way to, to watch it again when you wanted to watch it. And I thought, if it never shows again, at least I'll be able to listen to it. And, uh, and I was a huge Star Trek fan, and everyone in my life knew that. And so uh, my mom, I was being raised by a divorced mom, a single mom. And she had a boyfriend named Eddie Leroy, and he had been a comic in the 50s, and uh, sort of, a, he had his own TV show, he was a protege of Milton Berle, and one day he said, um, get in the car, I've got a surprise for you, and he drove me to this apartment building, and he knocked on the door, this is when Star Trek was running on, N- on NBC, and the door opened, and it was Michelle Nichols. And she it was wow. astonishing. She was gorgeous. And she gave me one of her own scripts signed to me. And all of the Uhura lines were circled because that's how she would memorize her lines. This was not Xerox. This was Mimeo. This is, they didn't have Xerox machines back then. And, and I was a 10-year-old kid, but I was a smart kid. And I said, well, do you have any more of these? And she reached in a waste paper basket and pulled out five more scripts from five other episodes. Wow. And- and she also gave me a kind photo, and she, um, and and she was just astonishing. We corresponded, and uh, the reason she was throwing out the scripts at that point, when normally she saved them, was that she was about to quit the show. And of course, we all know the story where Martin Luther King said, "No, you must not quit Star Trek because it is the one." Um, black role, one African-American role on television that isn't a servant, isn't, you know, subordinate. She's mm-hmm. a dominant, she's a powerful, she's her own woman. She's part of this crew. She's an equal. And, uh, and that was, and so she stayed. 
Ironically, years later, when I did uh, Space Command, the project I'm working on now, we actually cast Nichelle and shot a scene with her uh, just before the pandemic. And I brought the scrapbook I had kept of Star Trek from when I was 10 that included the letters she had written me and the photos she had signed me. And we sat flipping through it on all the articles I clipped about her. And it, it was it was wonderful. 50 years oh, later. Yeah. And, oh, my God. That must have been so cool. It was, what is a special <laughs> memory? It was right. a dream come true. It was a dream come true. And, uh, and now she's in Space Command. But so, but so I grew up. And, and another thing I want to tell you about, because this is not well known, uh, or I don't think it's known at all. Eddie to- I asked Eddie, my mom's boyfriend, how he, had, how he was friends with Michelle Nichols at that time. And he said, well, he'd known her for a number of years. And before Star Trek, she was having a very hard time getting work, getting cast. And so she, to make ends meet, she was actually doing nude modeling for art classes and he would pick her up after the classes and she would be in tears because it was so, you know, terrible. And oh. and he would say to her, don't worry, there's something better coming. Just hang in there. Just you hang in there. And because of this friendship and because he gave her he gave her this window to the future, they stayed friends, of course. And and so the point being that she had she didn't she just wasn't just someone who like was cast in Star Trek the day she arrived in town and life right. was a bowl of cherries, you know, right, right. Like she had to fight that fight and she had to have friends who would say, no, you just hang in there. Mm-hmm. There's a future, mm-hmm. there's a better future. And the thing about Star Trek also was Star Trek said, there's a better future. We can make a better future, but we have to make it. Yeah. And people, people forget that Star Trek uh, debuted and ran during the depths of the Vietnam War and mm-hmm. the riots in the streets and Martin Luther King's assassination and Robert Kennedy's assassination. Mm-hmm. These things happened during the run of Star Trek. And yet Gene Roddenberry had the vision to say, no, we can have a better future where, where everyone treats everyone like an equal, where, every, where, where everyone's value is, is seen and, mm-hmm. and allowed. And, um, and that was a brave, brave thing. And of course, you, you guys certainly know that Michelle Nichols then went on to be a champion for women in space and, mm-hmm. and, and African Americans in space and all of that. And uh, and and so then, so uh, while she was doing all that stuff, I was um, growing up, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, couldn't stay a kid forever, though I though I still try. And um, and so I became a television writer. I, I sold my well, actually, I sold my first short story when I was nineteen. And that was at the Clarion Writers Workshop, which is the leading science oh, wow. workshop in the country. Wow. And uh, one of my teachers was Samuel R. Delaney, the great Chip Delaney. Oh, and, yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. And also Roger Zelazny and uh, ah. Wolf and Damon Knight and Kate Wilhelm and Joe Haldeman. I mean, this was a, a amazing. Wow. And the other students included uh, Kim Stanley Robinson. He was one of the students. <gasps> and, uh, oh, my word. So it was. <laughs> it was kind of a, oh, about to die. Right. <laughs> Dying over here. So, uh, my sister book club just exploded. A collective yeah. mind explosion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was phenomenal. And so you know, and uh, and so I um, I'd always been knowing that I would be either an artist or a writer. Mm-hmm. And I was actually in the middle of my um, art degree at UCLA. So when I went to Clarion, but when I sold that first short story to Damon Knight for fifty bucks, I I realized people would pay me for my writing. Oh. And I thought, I'm, I'm going to be a writer. That's what I want to do. And I came back to L.A. and uh, finished my art degree. And um, but at the same time, I knew I wanted to work in TV as a writer because writers run television. And uh, right, this, is a, this is a bit of a long journey to far beyond the stars, but I'm getting there. And, <laughs> no, take um, you're your good. time. You're good. You're good. So, 
Um, so I started writing right out of college. I started writing a book called The Twilight Zone Companion so I could learn how to make great television because the three shows that made me want to be a writer were um, Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, and Star Trek, the original mm-hmm. versions of those three shows. And, um, and and Rod Serling, of course, was another great champion of of an optimistic future, of a hopeful future. And uh, and it's interesting because he he wrote one great episode of The Twilight Zone called uh, The Big Tall Wish that starred Ivan Dixon. And it's about Listen, a black... Bodie Johnson? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. But, but the cool thing about that and what people almost never notice about that episode is it's not about race. It's not about being black. It's not a civil rights story. It's a human story about a broken down fighter and the little boy who makes the magic come true, but then the fighter's too beaten down to mm. let the magic stand and he can't believe and it, and it's a heartbreaking story and it's but it has a lead black black cast it's got steve as a little boy it's got a black mother and 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 ivan dixon before hogan's heroes i mean this was terrific you know so so i was raised with that vision of possibility and so that was that was very much in my mind and in my heart and so I wrote The Twilight Zone Companion to learn about TV. So I started that book when I was, I think, 21 years old or so. And and by the time I was 22 or 23, I was writing for television. So I was mm-hmm. I started an animation, Smurfs, T-Man, Super Friends, Real Ghostbusters, all these fun shows and learned my craft. <clears throat> and then uh, jumped over to live action when I developed Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future uh, as a show. And by then... I was in live action. So I was story editing Friday the 13th, the series and writing for a lot of different shows. And that's when Star Trek, the next generation came out. Right. Oh, and that oh. was a great opportunity. And uh, when I was story editing Friday, the 13th, the series, I was on the Paramount lot. Mm-hmm. And so, so even before Star Trek, the next generation debuted, I was there with the, seeing the cast walking around in uniform. They'd sit at a big table in the, you know, in the restaurant for lunch on, on the Paramount lot, all that stuff. So, so I, went in and I pitched a story called First Contact and that sold. Uh, it was a, about a planet that develops warp drive and the Enterprise mm-hmm. is sent to make First Contact when the uh, prime director shuts off, you know, mm-hmm. and that was very fun. But but DS9 came came about, of course. And, and I became friends with Armin Shimmerman and he was a dear soul. He still is. We're still friends. And he's in Space Command, in fact. And um, Armin Shimmerman played Quark. And I went into pitch to DS9 and I knew I wanted to do something just with first contact, which, which opened up Star Trek in a way it had told a story that hadn't been told within the Star Trek universe, but didn't, but didn't violate the Star Trek universe. In other words, I was aware of all everything they'd done and, but wanted to kind of pry it open a little mm-hmm. bit, and expand the envelope. So, so when I was a kid, I noticed that all the, the, the Star Trek Outer Limits Twilight Zone, a lot of the writers were writing for those same, sh- all of those shows, and they were also writing the books I was reading and the short stories I was reading. So it was Theodore, uh-huh. Sturgeon, Harlan, Theodore Sturgeon, Harlan Ellison, Ray Bradbury, on and on, you know, and yeah. Dorothy Fontana, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, so I started, as soon as I was a teenager, I started going to science fiction conventions and meeting those writers, and they became mm-hmm. friends and mentors. Uh, and Ted Sturgeon, when I met him when I was a teenager, he was this giant of science fiction. I mean, he would go to science fiction conventions. It would be like, 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 like God had appeared, you know, <laughs> and, yet, 
and yet he was living this impoverished life. He was living in Silver Lake, which is which at the time was sort of a poverty uh, poverty stricken uh, part of L.A. And he wasn't even living in an apartment. He was living in a converted laundry room, and mm. the, the doorway was so low it was like a Morlock doorway that I hit my head on the lintel one time, and it was like. But there inside his little his little mini living space was like the Hugo and the Nebula, and wow. I thought and I thought Jesus. All these people who wrote science fiction back in the 50s for a penny a word, for five cents a word, for, for Astounding and Galaxy and all these great magazines, you wouldn't have Star Trek or Star Wars or any of that mm-hmm. if not for these guys who wrote for the love of it, who weren't famous, who weren't known, who, but, but, but who basically created this future that we were now living in, the space, you know, and, and with, with landing on the moon and all of this. None of this would have been possible except for these people of vision. And so... So I initially pitched a story where it was originally going to be um, uh, Jake Sisko, uh, uh, you know, Ben's son, uh, you know, mm-hmm. he was an inspiring writer, <clears throat> but, and, and he was going to be, it was a, back in the fifties, they were all science fiction writers and, and you would get to see the actors without the, the prosthetics. So you could see mm-hmm. them and it was going to be dealing with why, uh, why science fiction is important. Why does it, why, why is it not just escapist? crap right mm-hmm. it, it tells a, a future story and harlan i'd listened to a tape that harlan ellison had done reminiscing about writing for the pulps and one thing he mentioned was um that back then because you were you were being paid so little you would have to really hustle to get assignments and he said on a certain day that would be the day that the cover paintings would be delivered to the magazines and often they would commission the cover painting before they had a story that on, mm. yeah, and then you would write the story to match the cover. Wow. And, and he mentioned that the one that he had a hell of a time with was it was a, it was a woman sunbathing on the top of a New York uh, building, apartment building. And there was a giant praying mantis looking over the lip <laughs> of the building at her. And he had to talk to the editor about this as though it was the greatest illustration, the greatest painting, the greatest story in the universe and to get the gig. And he did. He, and I actually have a copy of that issue. But that started my head turning in terms of the notion of, you know, a, a cover with Deep Space Nine that would then, you know, our guys would, our, our guy would have to write. Mm-hmm. It's the issue of what Star Trek did, which is telling the truth. Because do you tell the lie or do you tell the truth? Mm-hmm. And I pitched to Hans, Hans Beimler, who had been my boss on another show, and Hans really liked it. And he said, uh, let me see if I can get, sell this. And a year went by. And... Wow. And it was, uh, and one day I'm, I, I was a producer at, on Sliders at that point, writing episodes, et cetera, at Universal in my office. And I get a call and it's Hans. And he says, um, good news, Mark. You've just sold, you know, Far Beyond the Stars. And I said, oh, great timing, Hans, because I was on Sliders. I was writing two episodes back to back. And the only time we would have to get together was during my lunch break, um, I drove over the hill from Universal to Paramount, and there was a restaurant next to Paramount called Nicodell's, and it's no longer there. And I met for lunch with the entire writing team of, of DS9. So it was Ron Moore and Brian Fuller and um, Ira Bear and Hans Beimler and Rick Richard Manning and on and on. I mean, it was just an amazing, amazing group of writers. And we started batting the story around, and Ira had figured out how what – he, he, he said, let's do it about race. And the moment he said that, I thought, that's great. 
Mm-hmm. That's great. So we love the Twilight Zone. We want to do it like a Twilight Zone episode. Mm-hmm. So it's just sort of like this vision the prophets are giving him. We don't have to explain it more than that. Right. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, you know, and, but basically we're going to have it be Ben, you know, not, not his kid. Mm-hmm. Ben's going to go back. Ben, ben Cisco is going to go back and he's going to be a science fiction writer. And one of the ideas I had was they're science fiction writers. So in, although it's played by all those actors, they're not, they're not those people, the character in the future. They're not, it's not Ben going, well, my God, I'm back in time. It's like they are these people back then because, and so it's that issue of when he said, am I the dreamer or the dream? You're both, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, and so we started batting the story around and, and I realized that Ira was a great showrunner because he took the dangerous choice because we all knew, we knew, we all knew this was going to be one of the great landmark episodes of Star Trek. We also knew it was going to be extremely difficult to get the studio to say yes, because it was so um, controversial, mm-hmm. that, you know, and, but we all were very excited. And so, uh, so we nailed down the basics of the story at that lunch. And, uh, and Ira said, and Ira over that lunch was even thinking strategically about, well, um, we'll have, um, we'll have Avery directed as well as star in it, because that will also help get it, push it through the studio hierarchy, you know, mm-hmm. because again, because you know he's the star of our show and but it was also we all approved because it was a great idea of course mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh so then that weekend uh i outlined the episode and uh and i called harlan ellison and, and i got and asked questions about that era i said were there any black science fiction writers writing under a white pseudonym and he said no but there was a, a mainstream writer who was doing that and he told me about that writer and um and we talked about all this stuff and, and, you know, and, and just, and I was thinking of it sort of initially, it was going to be Renee. No, it was going to be Armin playing the editor, sort of an HL gold kind of guy at Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And, and Renee, Renee was going to be the writer who kind of was the conscience of the thing and the, and the liberal sort of the idea that he was like a blacklisted writer from Hollywood who was sort of slumming coming to New York by science fiction because it's he adult trombo movie work. Yes. <laughs> and, but then they, then they were worried that, that it might seem um, anti-Semitic because Armin's Jewish. And if he was the guy, you know, stomping on, okay, ben, okay, you know, okay, okay, and okay. so they, so they said, let's swap it. So it's Renee mm-hmm. and, and, and Armin's the, 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 you know, more like the Harlan Ellison kind of guy. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that was fine because, of course, you know, uh, John W. Campbell was thin and austere and had a big nose. And right. it worked just fine in, in terms of the science fiction history. And everyone was just so into it. Everyone loved the idea. And um, in, but so in, and, um, and, and it was also extremely gracious of Harlan to, to take my call and answer my questions because he hated Star Trek. When I did, when I did, when I wrote and co-wrote and, and directed and executive produced um, um, the, the George K Star Trek episode that I did, I invited Harlan to the premiere and Harlan said, I, you know, I love you, Mark, but I, I can't, I can't go to a Star Trek thing. I just can't. So the fact that when I was doing far beyond the stars, he would call me and answer my questions and be very gracious and not bad mouth Star Trek was, um, was really quite something. And um, so I wrote the outline and, uh, and they, they, they were fast tracking it because they knew this was going to be a great episode. They were going to put a ton of money into it. And um I mean, it was really going to be their flagship episode. And so they wanted to, they wanted to roll camera on it within a matter of weeks. And, and Ira was, was very, because it was sweeps weeks. That's when they determine the uh, advertising shows. So yeah. you want to get good ratings. Knew this would 
get a good rating. So, um, so, so I did the outline. The outline came out great. The only major difference in my outline from the episode was instead of having um, Worf be a baseball player, I had him be a boxer. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I had the Twilight Zone. Yeah, and they basically, I think it was that. I, I was I was thinking of Jack Johnson, and so I was having right. That's, so yeah. so, um, so Dax, she was going to be a sort of a socialite who's having a romance with him on the down low, on the on the on the on the you know quiet. Oh, oh, the cops were basically the cops were basically going to beat him to death. So oh, it wasn't God. Jake who gets killed; it was you know, um, Worf, mm-hmm. and that was the main difference. But it but it still was the same basic point, which is right. you know, cops are killing innocent black people, you know, right. And, um, so, uh, but that was fine. And, and, you know, so that was a minor thing, but so I wrote the outline, the outline came out great. It was the same story as what you, you saw. And normally at someone at my level, I would have done the script and that was my expectation, of course. But, but Hans called and said, well, you know, Iris decided that we're going to do it in house. And I said, cause he, cause you're working on another show. Uh-huh. So I said, well, let me call Ira. And I called Ira and I said, what's the deal here? You know, I, I don't get caught off at story. And uh, he said, well, uh, you know, you've got, you're working on sliders. And he said, listen, I'll tell you what, if you quit your job on sliders, I'll let you write the script. <gasps> and I considered <laughs> about 90 seconds because I knew this was going to be one of the great Star Trek episodes. And, but I was writing two episodes of sliders back to back. Now I totally had the bandwidth to do that script. It would not have broken. I wouldn't have broken a sweat, but, um, but but I couldn't quit sliders because they were relying on me. And I was writing two episodes back to back um, uh, world, world killer and, and uh, slide cage. And um, so I, I had to say, okay, okay, I can't, I can't do it. And so uh, I can't, you know, knife my coworkers in the back. So, but, but, but fortunately, but Ira and Hans Beimler, Ira Baron and Hans Beimler, I knew they'd be writing the script from my outline. I knew that they were going to do a terrific job. So I wasn't worried about that at all. And but simply that it was fast tracked. That was the reason that Ira did that, made that decision because he didn't think I could do three scripts in three weeks. But, oh, hey, but hey. obviously I could have. Obviously I could have. But that said, um, I knew it was going to be a terrific episode, and Armin was thrilled because um, I said even before I wrote it, I said Armin, I'm going to do a an episode where you don't have to wear. You know, people are going to see your face. Right. Um, now the interesting irony was when I wrote Slide Cage for Sliders. I wrote a role specifically for Armin and I mentioned in, and in that episode, the character mentions that his favorite TV show was beauty and the beast. Not the, and he says, not the Disney one, the one with Ron Perlman. <laughs> and the reason was it was an in joke because he, both Armin and I wrote, you know, Armin played a character named Pascal in that show. And I wrote for that show and it was an in joke about Armin, you know, that this character says, <laughs> the funny thing was there was, there's one day overlap between the shooting on slide cage and the shooting on, uh, far beyond the stars and so they wouldn't let Armin go and so another actor had to play the role in sliders though oddly the line stayed so the line makes no sense at all but, um, <laughs> but the amazing the amazing thing the amazing thing was the two studios were uh shooting my work at the same the same week the same time wow. uh, universal was shooting one of my sliders episodes and and uh paramount was shooting far beyond the stars so i got photos of myself in uh, the same clothes with both casts at two different studios. And uh, so it's the photo from slide cage with the entire cast, all, you know, Jerry O'Connell and all those folks in the Chromags and all of that. And awesome. then, um, then I went over the hill to Paramount 
And the funny thing is, it's one of the bo- most boring looking photos ever because it's guys in a 19th <laughs> office. <laughs> you know, it's like not not on DS9. It's not with the prosthetics or any of that. So, but but I went there and they were shooting a scene and Avery Brooks was directing. And I knew Armin and I had met Renee, but I didn't I didn't know Avery. So, so while he's directing, he's kind of looking at me and wondering who I am. And he finished, he says, okay, cut lunch break and everyone starts filing out and then i walk up to him and i say hello mr brooks my name is mark sickby i came up with this story and he he said everybody everybody stop and they all stopped and he put his arm around me and he said say to them what you said to me and i said <laughs> i came up with a story and he said he came up with the story and then they all applauded <laughs> <Hey>! <laughs> and so it was, it was a wonderful moment it was a wonderful moment and uh and the episode came out and and it was it was breathtaking. It was unlike any any Star Trek episode before or since. Mm-hmm. And uh and it was incredible. I, I actually had lunch uh, a little while later later with Brock Peters, who played, you know, his yeah. father yeah. and, and the picture. And and again, there was that amazing moment where they're in the ambulance and there's the stars, you know, am I the dreamer mm-hmm. or the dream? Yeah. You're both. And and it was the issue of it was a profoundly truthful issue about race relations because it had the I mean, think of it. A major American studio says cops are racist and they kill black people. Right. There's no, there's no, oh, well, maybe there's two sides to this, this story. No, no, mm-hmm. there was no equivocation. It was just there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we're talking like, as you say, 24 years ago. So that's, and, and uh, so it's a phenomenal, but it's also the other truth of why does science fiction matter? And science fiction matters because we can, we can present a better future and in presenting it, the possibility is created and then it, then it leads us somewhere. And um, I always talk about Martin Luther King when he gave the speech about, um, I've, you know, I've, I see the sons of, of slaves and the, the children of slaves and the children of slave owners sitting together at the table of, of peace and blah, blah, blah. He's telling a science fiction story because he's mm-hmm. describing a future that does not yet exist but in describing it he's helping to create it it's a science fiction story just like far beyond the stars is a science fiction story it's why we do this we you know the ones who do it right like harlan like ted sturgeon like chip delaney we are like you yeah yes and, <laughs> and octavia butler another another um friend. yeah you know, I, I met Octavia when she was in this, the writing class that Ted Sturgeon taught where I first met Ted and um, when I was a teenager. But yeah, please um, do tell because she's a personal goddess. She was amazing. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and so I kept in touch with her. She died far too, too young, of course. You know? But see, the great thing about being a writer is, you know, that you've written things that will outlive you. You know that you've mm-hmm. made a mark on the world. You know, I, I love television because it's millions of people. And here we are 24 years later talking about something that I came up with that has maintained its truth and mm-hmm. its power. And the fascinating thing was a couple of years ago for the 20th anniversary, I think it was before the pandemic, they at, at the Las Vegas Star Trek convention, they screened far beyond the stars. Mm-hmm. But, and then they had a panel with all of us sitting and talking about it. And while they were screening it for the audience back in the green room behind the screen, they, you know, they had the, the episode running on the monitor there. Now, normally in the green room, actors are calling their agents and people are running in and out and nobody's paying attention to what's on the monitor. I went in and there was the, ca- the entire cast of Deep Space Nine and the entire cast of Star Trek Discovery watching this episode. Wow. Screened. And you could have heard a pin drop because wow. the, the Star Trek Discovery cast did not know 
about Far Beyond the Stars. They did not oh, know of that right. episode. And, and, and that was, of course, you know, Black Lives Matter was just, you know, I mean, things were, were happening in the real uh-huh. world. And it was like, holy cow, this is more relevant now, sadly, tragically, than it was back then. And, 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 and so again, it's just, this is why we love Star Trek. This is why we love science fiction. Because, you know, if you write something that's about, well, I always talk about Rod Serling, where if Rod had stayed a mainstream writer, which is what he had intended to do, people wouldn't know about Requiem for Heavy Order Patterns. He'd be forgotten, just like uh-huh. yes. Rose or Patty Chayefsky or any of those writers. They're like they're like dusty names, and you really have to be an aficionado to know who they are. But if you say Rod Serling, you know, Twilight Zone, science fiction has a shelf life that other uh, other fiction doesn't. And uh-huh. I mean, some of it does. Some mm-hmm. There's some high watermarks, but science fiction, much more um, bang for your buck, you know? So, uh, yeah. so that, yeah, so that's, that's, that's my journey to that. And then with, um, with space command, well, then I did the, the Star Trek episode with George Takei, um, which I did, um, outside of the studio system. And, uh, that was the great Sulu episode and uh, world enough in time, which you can watch on Mr. Sci-Fi, my, my YouTube channel. And it was nominated for the Hugo and the Nebula. And then, uh, I created space command and my fans gave me 3 million bucks and, but I want, wow. to, I want to cast enormous, enormous. I don't want to cast diversity for diversity's sake. I want to cast it because it's the world I live in. Right. So sort right. of like, you know, I, I, I like variety. I don't, you know, I mean, Jesus, I don't want to be part of a world that where everyone looks like me and nobody ever disagrees with me. I mean, come on, you know, <laughs> like, but, um, but more than that. So I'm casting, you know, my friend Christina Moses is in both. I cast her in, um, of World Enough in Time, and now she's in Space Command. She's starring in um, a million little, little, what is it, a million little lies? What was that? A million little things, whatever. Oh, yeah. It's like show on AB. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. But she's terrific. And, uh, <clears throat> but there's a lot of, a lot of, you know, Latino actors, Black actors, everybody, everybody, everybody in the pool, you know. So it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, uh, I, I, so enough of my monologue. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to ask. No, we loved that. That was like. Thank you, listeners. That's it for the sci-fi sisters. What I really, what I really loved about this episode is, um, it's, and I read this, uh, you know, a couple places where people were saying that it's, it's so sci-fi, even though it's not particularly Star Trek, like they are not in their costumes and they are not in their makeup. Yes. And, um, you know, we're in this other location in the 50s, but I love the way, you know, it went in and out and back and forth. Uh, yes. You know, one minute Cisco's looking at the pad and then yes. he's talking to, you know, he's in the office. And that flipping back and forth just made it seem so, yes. you had to pay attention Yes. Like, yes. What is happening? I don't understand what's happening. And it was a story about racism in the fifties yes. and why black people can't write science fiction and why, you know, even in the two thousand twenties we still have problems writing science fiction. But yes. um and, and one, thing, know, one thing one thing one thing yeah, one thing Ira and I talked about over that lunch with with everybody was it was the idea that he's writing under a white pseudonym. And so during the day he's working with his white coworkers. And then, but when it's like photo day, he's not supposed to come, you know, no one's mm-hmm. supposed to come back. Mm-hmm. But then he goes home at night to his, to Harlem and he, and it's like, and his black friends say, what the hell are you doing? You're writing about a future in which we're not there. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Right. And he was given that cover illustration of DS9, the 1950s version of it. It's like, there was, I had that moment where he looks in the window 
of his apartment and he sees his reflection. He sees his face. And it's like, do I write a lie or do I write the truth? Do I write a future right. in which we exist in, in, in a future? You know, I mean, right. you know, and he, and, and he makes the, the, the bold choice, the, the dangerous choice of writing the truth. But that's the only way things change. Yeah. And um, I also remember there was a great issue of EC Comics in the 50s where a, um, an astronaut is sent to this planet of robots to determine whether or not to let them into this galactic federation. And uh, and there's orange robots and blue robots. And the I think the orange robots t- treat the blue robots like shit or whatever. And finally, the guy says at the end of this his story, uh, Joe jo Orlando was the artist on it. Um, no, you're not. You're not ready to be entered in because you're bigots, basically. And then he goes uh-huh. into the spaceship and he takes off his helmet and there's He's a black guy and he's got, and it's beautifully drawn, but it's just that, that whole issue of, of race in science fiction. And I thought it was um, important, you know, and of course, Ray Bradbury wrote the story in the Martian Chronicles that I don't think it's in the current edition anymore, but it was about all the black people leaving earth and going to Mars. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was mm-hmm. like a great story because it yeah. was like, okay, you know, I mean, let's, let's, let's look at this, you know? Well, well, I think, you know, one of the things about, um, that resonates so true about far beyond the stars is like you know what you're getting to what you get from benny is not just validating his truth and his existence but you know the the important thing is if i don't see myself in the future right Right, 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 right. I might as well just give up now. You know, right. we might as well just all die now. You yes. know, like I can't control if somebody else sees me in the future. I have to see myself yes. there. Of course, yes. And that's why the original you know? Star Trek that's why the original Star Trek was so important and so powerful. Because there there's Asians, there's black women, powerful black women. There's, you know, I mean, it was very, very important because visibility and legitimacy, but more than that. Um, and one, well, there was one other um, difference between my outline and the final episode, which is in my uh, storyline, uh, when Benny has the breakdown, uh, Armin's character basically takes a stand and he says, look, unless you publish that story, I'm, I walk. And he basically throws the weight of his credibility behind this. And, and the story does get out to the public. And because from, by my lights, you know, it has to get out to the public. The story has to be there. You know, now, now Ira, Ira took the other route, which is Benny breaks down and it's, and you know, bad guys win essentially, but, but that doesn't matter because still there's the, the fact that an American, a major American studio is, is saying, Hey, you know, here's the truth, you know? And, and yes. so, so the ending is less important in that regard than the, the truth getting out. And so in a way the story gets out via that episode. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel I feel like the ending that they they took was uh, more realistic in a way. Yeah, you know, Definitely. yeah, <laughs> very realistic. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like, you know, your, like, you white savior happening. You know, oh, when the white guy says, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's going to go. So I would have been, no, you didn't just do that to me. But yeah. it also, yeah. but it also, you know, but I mean, the ending that you you posed also was is something that we're all rooting for yes as the episode goes on we're rooting for these people to speak up and to you know and to back up their quote-unquote friend yes you know Um, i think i mean i think either either ending is legitimate i mean because again uh it all boils down to individual courage uh you know either i mean and and part and one of the things that's about star trek that's so great is i mean the original star trek and all of the, the good star trek since is that they're a family they're there for each other. You know, it's mm-hmm. not about individual um, uh, benefit. It's about we're all in this together and we all, you know, 
take care of each other. You know, it's like that and selflessness and, and that's so important. And, you know, so, yeah, but I, but I can, I can certainly, uh, I see uh, the ending that I would put on it as, as valid as well, you know, because, you know, sometimes we win and sometimes we don't, yeah. but, but yeah. the episode one, you know, mm-hmm. so that was the amazing, amazing triumph. I mean, and Ira was very brave to, uh, to do it. I mean, he had, to, he really had to take on the studio and, and he was, he's a tough so- guy. He's a tough guy. So, so Ira's idea of making Avery the director really yes. was to get over that obstacle with the studio. Yes. Well, not, not, know, just yeah. that, not just that. It was also to legitimize the story. You know, so in other okay. words, it's a black director. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's not. The he white signed director. off on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and everyone agreed to, to that idea. But I'll tell you one thing, because directing that episode was very difficult with Avery playing, you know, pulling such an episode as the lead. And there was one time that it really came back to bite him, to bite him, which was um, when he has the breakdown, when he has that amazing monologue, Mm -hmm. the first time round, see back then when we were shooting with film, now we shoot digitally. When you were shooting with film before you did any take, you would say to the, the DP and the camera crew, check the gate. And what that means is, see how much film is left in the magazine because the magazines, the film magazine only holds 10 minutes of film. And so if it's going to be a long take, you want to change the magazine out so it won't run out of film. So, so when I, when, when Avery did that amazing monologue the first time through, suddenly you would hear in the middle of the scene, this sort of flapping sound. Oh no, no, no. Was, which was the magazine had run out of tape, film. He had not told them to check the gate. Yeah. And so he, has, he gives it his all, he does, throws everything he's got into it. And then it's like cut. And then it's like, uh, boss, we, uh, we have to oh. go again, <laughs> you know? So I think that the final version of that monologue, they used what they shot of that first take and then they they cut away to someone else for a moment just so that they put on the, the oh, last okay one. okay okay but wow but, yeah, yeah. So I was like if that couldn't have been more than one take no that was, that was that powerful was, I, think, I think everyone just like the blood drained it was like oh no <laughs> that, you know that's that's how Hollywood works you gotta you what you gotta pull it out from wherever you can pull it out from you know you you have a job to do you know yeah so, uh, yeah but it was it was terrific and 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 you know we're all of us all of us I mean we knew going in. That it was going to be one of the great episodes. There was You've no doubt. Be, like the one person that anybody can really, you, well, you, you guys who were involved with this particular yeah. episode, the one time you can ask somebody, like, so did you know when you were making this? You know, I mean, that's like the most annoying question that you can no. ever ask somebody. No, you know, at, but even, even, even at that lunch when we were all sitting around just talking about it, because every time there was a choice for Ira to take the more dangerous choice, or the less dangerous choice. He took the more dangerous choice. Yeah. That's rare. Yeah. And so when he said, okay, let's have it be, you know, this, 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 and this, it's like, okay, that sounds great. And then, and then when I saw the episode, my God, it had like period buses and newsstands yeah. and Hasidic Jews and nuns. And yes. And then, and, and <laughs> it was, it's the, the level of production was way beyond what normally you would see in a TV show of that, of that era. And mm-hmm. it really, I mean, everyone knew it was going to be a jewel. Everyone knew. And, uh, you know, and so that was, and also the more references we had, not not just to the world of 1950 science fiction, because I put a ton of that stuff in there, yeah. but also, and because we all were thinking, okay, this writer is Isaac Asimov, the robot stories. This, I, you know, we, were, we were thinking about who <laughs> they would have been. Yeah. And, um, but also we were thinking about, you know, Avery was also bringing the jazz uh, influences and a lot of that stuff and wearing that hat, that period, you know, that hat that he wears. Yes. The, the kufi. Like, yeah. So 
So yeah, the like, more that it was, mm -hmm. the more authenticity we could get into and the more that we could bring that stuff. So every department and, and, and Micah Kudan and the art team, of course, had a great time doing those fake science fiction covers. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I'm sure they had a great time I with that those. one. Yeah, yeah. So, so I love the fact that you brought in, um, I'm a huge baseball fan, like history yeah. of baseball. Yeah. And I'm a New Yorker. So uh, bringing in the New York Giants was, yeah. that has always been great. Because that's yeah. my, my stepfather loved the New York Giants. Yeah. From, they're from Harlem. Yeah. And to bring in Willie Mays, that was, yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was just awesome. And, the, yeah. you know, and his yeah. love for Harlem and all of that. Yeah. I, I love that part. So and, and, and also because, you know, Ira and, and, and myself and a lot of the people working on that show knew history. We knew, mm -hmm. history. and we were all, and we were also liberals. I mean, it was like, you know, we, 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 we want the truth out. We want, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, um, I have no investment in erasing the past, the real past with people being screwed over with people being, you know, with it not being f fair or a level field, all of that stuff. It's like, you know, you can't, you can't make things better unless you acknowledge that things aren't right. Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, exactly, exactly. So, yeah. So how did you feel when the Emmy nominations came out and they were three for this episode? I mean, that is just, yeah, amazing. So I hear that it was art direction, which of course we've been talking about. Of course, they nailed it. That set and everything about yeah. it was so on point. Costume design, yeah. and my favorite hairstyling, because I thought <laughs> Cassidy Yates looked so on point as a yeah. black woman. Oh, she, she did. Yeah. Yep. Right down yeah, she looks like all the pictures foundation. of my relatives. The, yes, the slightly yeah. off foundation. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the, the cool part. The cool part is. That everyone working on Star Trek loved Star Trek. They mm -hmm. loved the opportunity to tell a story because they, they all grew, had grown up watching Star Trek. And so they knew that a story that you did right could last 20, 30, 40 years and beyond. You know, mm -hmm. so everyone was giving, bringing their A game, their mm -hmm. absolute A game. You know, they were not, nobody was just saying, well, it's just a job and I'm just going to punch the clock. No, everyone art department makeup everything they were saying oh this is this is let's let's really make this right because this is a jewel you know mm -hmm. and uh, and it shows i mean it really shows and yeah, it's just, it and also it's yeah. interesting armin told me an interesting thing as well because the my idea as i said was that these were not there, there's one point where avery was directing armin to play the science fiction writer like quark and and armin said no i'm i this is not this character is not quark mm -hmm. this is not a 1950s version of Quark, mm -hmm. this is a different person. And so he really held firm on that. And that was, of course, the right choice because that was the idea mm -hmm. was this was the, the idea I had was that the science fictional versions of these characters, it's like the Benny would be influenced by the people around him to create characters. In other words, so he's mm -hmm. finding inspiration in his life for the characters he's creating in his stories. And mm -hmm. so, um, so they weren't, they didn't have to be one-to-one. -one. So, you know, uh, they weren't the same people. And that was important, I thought. But it was it was super fun, super fun. I, I want to know whose idea was it to have Mark talk of all people be the illustrator. Right. <laughs> that I never got. <laughs> he comes out with, you know, he just looks like, you know, he's there to fix the yeah. Talking about Cardassians. I thought he would talk about Klingons. Yeah. All these great drawings. And I, I mean, I love that scene when he comes out and he gives them yes. all their assignments. They all start taking their assignments. It's so fun. And J.G. Hertzler, you know, he's in Space Command as well. And he's a great guy and a wonderful actor. And, you know, all these guys. I mean, you know, see, the, the other part that we really haven't talked about is 
what an astonishing cast start you know that these deep yeah. had yeah. you know because it's like <laughs> when you write something and you know the actors are going to really really bring it uh, it's it's a joy because they come up with things different from what you would envision but better you know mm-hmm. or you, you know it's like you're handing your baby over to someone who's going to raise it right and so yeah. and so i just it all i can't fault any performance in that episode everyone's oh terrific. no nope. and, uh, yeah. they, they all did they, they always did a good job I, yeah. It, yeah as you as you probably guess this deep space nine is our favorite yeah uh, our favorite trek so yeah 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 well you know <laughs> and it's, it. but it's interesting because we all we all <laughs> It's funny because we, we all knew each other. We all talked to each other. We all were influenced by what others were doing. So, for instance, DS9, as it went on, was being very strongly influenced by Babylon 5 and the idea of having an arcing story in terms of taking those kind of risks. And and I think Ira had a lot of power over DS9. So DS9 is a very different show from Voyager, for instance, uh-huh. or from Enterprise, because those were much more the Brandon Bragg and, and Rick. And, um, you know, and I don't think they were they were going for as deep, a commentary on society as Ira was. I think Ira, you know, Ira had a lot on, a lot in his mind and, and that's a good thing. That's an absolutely good thing. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, we don't, I mean, if you do it right, you don't take anything for granted. You, you're being given a wonderful opportunity to say something important, to do something worth doing. And um, I don't want to waste my audience's time. I want them to really um, get benefit from what, what, what I'm doing, you know, so I bring my heart and soul to all of it, everything, you know, so. It's that's the job. If you do it right, that's what I learned from Harlan and Ted Sturgeon and all my all my wonderful mentors, Ray Bradbury. You know, great people. I'm, I'm interested. I know you alluded to it a little bit before, but your decision as a writer to really focus on television and mm-hmm. and television writing. Like, can you talk to me a little bit about that sure. and what sure. made that decision for you? Yeah, well, first of all, I grew up with TV. I was like sort of the first generation of TV kids, you know. And uh, so TV was in my life very strongly, as well as books, of course. And um, but I, when I was young, I taught, I took a class from uh, Charles Joffe, who had been Woody Allen's agent. Then he became Woody Allen's producer. And I said, OK, Charlie, in film and TV, where's the power? And he said, OK, in film, it's the writer, director, hyphenate, or the director. You know, the director is the main guy, sometimes the producer. In TV, it's the writer, executive producer, hyphenate, the, the showrunner. And, but basically, film is run by directors, TV is run by writers. And so I wanted what I wrote to be what got out to the audience. And so that's, that's why I chose TV. I also like the speed of television. I like the fact that um, because of the economics, most of what, I mean, pretty much, 95% of what I've written has gotten made, if not more. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, and now I have my own studio. So basically everything I write, I can shoot. There's no problem with that. And so, um, you know, I, I like that. I mean, my friends who are screenwriters, many of them have, have earned a lot of money, but they haven't seen a single word they've written shot. And, uh, you know, they're just writing on assignment that I would kill myself if that were my life. You know, it's, mm-hmm. I, money, is, it's money is not what rules me. I, I want a life of meaning. And uh, yeah, and so you know, it's uh, I, I'm very proud of the work I've done, and um, and I'm still doing it. <laughs> so, yeah. Awesome, yeah. Hey, yeah. I'm telling you. I have one question I wanted to ask sure. about. You sure. mentioned that um, Avery um, put in his jazz influences. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So my I think favorite, that, uh, yeah, my favorite part <laughs> is when Jake says, "What are you talking about?" 
color people on the moon because I love Gil Scott Heron. Gil Scott Heron, why <laughs> on the moon? <laughs> right. So Weird. every Weird. time I hear that, that's all I yeah. think of. So I'm hoping yeah. that's why that was in there. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it was. And you know, if uh, you know, and I think Ira Ira was also a jazz aficionado. So I think, I mean, it was one of these things where. Any suggestion that made it more authentic, everyone said, yeah, absolutely, okay. absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and everyone was thrilled because, again, you get on that slipstream where you're just, I don't know, it's, it's funny. You know, when you were talking about Benny, Ben, Cisco, and Benny, where the, mm-hmm. the reality kind of impinges on each other, that's when you're a writer, that's sort of like what it's like because you're living your life and you're going out in your world. Yes. You're seeing what's in your head. You're seeing the world that you're creating over over as an overlay and so yep. it's very much that kind of flow as a writer and so so that was also another part of it and um but also the, the love lovely part of it is it's a star trek episode basically saying why is star trek important mm. you know it's like basically asking that question in a way it's sort of meta almost yes. because it's like <laughs> it's like it's asking what the validity of its own existence is right. and uh, and it comes up with a with a great answer which is well we can really affect the world. You know, we can really, because again, if you did, did a story, it, science fiction doesn't polarize the way that political discussions tend to, where all mm-hmm. of a sudden everyone's on their own side and nobody's listening. But science fiction, somehow it gets through to people and it, not, not perfectly, but, but it, it, it does, you know, I, I've, talked to, I've talked to conservatives who are huge science fiction fans. And one of the things that was very gratifying to me was years ago, my wife and I were invited to a convention up north uh, in California, and it was this Star Trek fan group, and they dress up like Star Trek, you know, characters and blah blah blah. And I thought, well, Jesus! And then I found out that as part of us being a Star Trek fan group, they were doing charity works. That that was, you know, so they were giving blood and helping poor, you know, children and whatever. It's like they were not just doing the, the superficial trappings of Star Trek, they were doing the heart of Star Trek in taking that into the world and doing something that meant something. And yeah. that, was, that was meaningful. You just spoke to our hearts because yes, outside of the Sci-Fi Sisters, Yvette is also our commander uh-huh. on ship, the USS Gerard Holder. Yeah. Great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, we, we, um, and that's our mission is, you know, is to help bring about the world that we want to see through work like we're not just a ship that puts on costumes and oh. hangs out together no. at the Denny's or something you know about doing yeah. work yeah. you know I think I think and I think right now is a very um precarious time I think that the democracy is under attack mm-hmm. in a way that I've never seen in my entire life. Uh, I think that I never thought that, that racism would become so overt again, that right. I mean, so much, I mean, it, it's, you know, cops are always killing people. I mean, cops are, I mean, that's okay. Yes. Reform the cops, but the voting thing, it's like the geez, voting rights is the, is the key. Kind of, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, I, I feel like everyone should just, you know, take a bus to Washington and in, like a hundred million people should go. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's this is huge because if you the, can't... the voting rights are, are key and what we're finding okay that's a whole nother podcast but I mean <laughs> what I'm finding I, I mean I live in DC so this is yeah, yeah, my yeah. world you know and yes um you know I I have a lot of thoughts on 
political strategy <laughs> and what and what's gone wrong recently. yes 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 um, well, and, I think, the, and i yeah. think the key is that those local elections were, yes. were really failing i agree uh, at the local level and yes. I, I don't i don't know that i want another march i i just want people to uh really get involved in their local politics so we can't yes. you know keep putting in i watched a uh Thing on the television the other day from a school board mm. in out in the, one of the suburbs of DC that they literally just did a coup. Yes, conservatives just did a coup on the school board, ousted the school board president with no repercussions. Right, and everybody was, and it was just like there was no democratic process. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. Yes, well, That's, I remember that is what we're living in. Well, years ago, I was at the Smithsonian. There was an exhibit, and they had gotten these letters. Uh, from the turn of the century and they posted them on the wall. And one of the letters was amazing. It's from a black man in the South. And he was saying, I went to my uh, polling place to vote and they wouldn't let me vote. Please do something about this. Please help me. And of course he got no answer and no remedy. Uh, and, 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 you know, it, you, if you're a student of history, you know what reconstruction was, you know, and then, and then mm -hmm. Tulsa with, 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 you know, Damon Lindelof dramatizing the Tulsa massacre. That mm -hmm. was to see in Watchmen because again, you know, if you erase the history, that's that's the first place where, you know, a crime is being done because, right. you know, and uh, so, I mean, you know, that's again where we need to, you know, speak the truth. And and it's not like, oh, well, there's one side and there's another side. No, there's evil and good in this case. <laughs> it's like, you know, if the moment you take away the, the vote, I mean, we're, we're not headed toward Republicans winning, we're, we're headed toward like totalitarianism winning. Absolutely. You know, yes. It's, it's Absolutely. Putin's world or, or, the, or the Chinese government or any of these totalitarian states. And, and I, um, I'm, I'm a student also of, of um, the Third Reich and all of that. This is the same playbook. It isn't different, mm -hmm. you know, and, right. uh, you know, right. and I think, I think one other thing that, that did give, make me very sympathetic to the issue of race was the fact that um, my family came out of the Holocaust. And mm -hmm. my grandfather was drafted in the Russian army and he deserted and made his way to World War I and was a cook in the American army for World War I, then came to America and brought his wife over and my aunt over and my mom was born in Chicago. But everyone else in his family and everyone else in his village was exterminated by Hitler. So mm -hmm. if my grandfather hadn't deserted the army in Russia at that time, he would have been exterminated. My mom would have been exterminated. My aunt. So it's so I wouldn't exist. And that's right. not. I mean, when they talk about well, slavery is over. No, no, it isn't. You know, I mean, it's it's it hasn't ever ended. Right. You know, mm -hmm. because people are still being denied the vote. People are still they're still trying to. You know, it's not wait where I'm. Where I'm you know, right. You no, know, it's because you know <laughs> in in this country it's very easy to you know like you say what happens is people morph to white yes know, there was a time when irish was the minority and yes. then now here they have now morphed to white yes. italians used to be you know and yes. they are now white yes. and the same thing with oh you know with, even jewish you can you can yes. go for a long time because you right. can't morph right i can go anywhere and <laughs> so it, it never it, ends yes mm -hmm. well also what I, what I try to explain to my friends is i say look it's just you want to get up and you want to go through your day and you don't want to have to be fucked with you know, right. you don't want to have to deal <laughs> yeah. with it. You want to be treated the same. It's the not same. That's it. you know, not I mean, better. You know, not I mean, first, just the yeah. same. Yeah, and and that doesn't that doesn't go to the issue of reparations or any of that stuff. That's a, another conversation. Right. Like, <laughs> and, yes, yes. There's you know you can go back and back and back, and there's always going to be stuff to clean up and fix and do better. But but just on a day to day basis, right? It's like 
Christ, you know, it's like, and again, that's where Uhura was great until she did the fan dance in, in Star Trek Five. That's I could. I was, I <laughs> We don't, we don't talk about Star Trek no, Five. We, 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 we don't. But uh, but I mean, and, and and but by the way, when we shot, when we filmed the Space Command scene at Michelle's house, at the end of the day, she came up to me and she said, "Thank you for gracing my home," and that was just like, "Oh, this is oh, a wow. grand woman. She is <laughs> wow, and so beautiful." I mean, again, amazing people. Um, you know, I, I just yeah. So I'm. I mean, so the bottom line is I just, Star Trek has graced my life and you, you've, you're gracing my life now and all of these wonderful people I've gotten to know and work with. And, you know, from Chip Delaney and Octavia Butler and all these, I, I, these are miraculous people. And mm-hmm. I've been, I've been honored to be part of this world. You know, I, every day is Christmas for me. I, you know, I, I you know, I have no a question for you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm just wondering, cause I, I'm looking at the list of television credits that you have. Yeah, and I'm just going to sleep. <laughs> a couple of them, okay? Mm-hmm. It's like the Smurfs. Yes, He Man and Masters of the Universe, The Incredible Hulk, um, yes. Swamp Thing, Friday the Thirteenth, The Real Ghostbusters, Yes, Tech Wars. I mean, Star Trek, of course, Sliders, The Mummy. It goes on and on. Babylon Five, Mantis, everything. Yeah. So what? What are you watching now? <laughs> 2001 yes. has all these sci-fi series on mm-hmm. and just be, you know, just blab it out. What was the thing that got you this year that you were like, wow? Um, I just finished watching Station Eleven and it started slow, but it really kind of got uh, got its feet under it. I really liked it. Did it? Um, yeah. Oh, okay. okay. I tried. Yeah. <laughs> I tried. I didn't get far. Okay. To- I just have to let it go, huh? You have to basically get to episode three before you get past a lot of the bullshit. And, uh, and then it really, really works. It really works. The expanse. (laughs) Uh, The expanse. I'm going to be watching the expanse, the ending of the expanse today. Yes. I'm also reading the final novel. Um, You know, so yeah. And there's a lot of, a lot I like about that show. Um, Yeah. I'm currently creating a new show with the two creators of, of, of the expanse, the, of the, of the show. Uh, Mark, Mark, Ferguson, Mark Ferguson, Hawk Osprey, and I'm creating another show with Rock Neil Bannon, who created Farscape and Defiance and so forth. But, um, but I like I like those shows. Let me think. What else? There's a lot of bad science fiction shows. You know, yeah. Like, like, <laughs> like, like I, you know, Raised by Wolves. It's like, oh, what, what the what? Okay, what was that? What the heck was? Know. Okay, so I, I have people that were just going off about it, and I watched it, and I just I don't understand. No. What is the point of this whole show? I don't, I don't even know, know what they're trying to do. I don't know. And, and, and foundation was gorgeous, but it's like, I could not get into the characters, yeah. you know, it's sort of like, yeah, yeah. it that looks good. A, it looks really good. It yeah. was gorgeous. Well, but I tell you that we love um, Roxanne Empire, Empire was like, Empire was the character, you mm-hmm. know, that, yes. that, that triad and all three of them brought, all three of those actors brought, yeah. um, just really made that so riveting. Yeah. You know, but I kept going with foundation. Like, where are we going? Like, what are yes. we yes. doing? Yeah. What are we talking about? It felt a yeah. little aimless. And, and I really wanted to rip for it. You know, yeah. when Roxanne Dawson got yeah. in that director's we, we chair, so baby, yeah. come on now. Yeah, I love, I love Roxanne. She's, she's great. It's very funny. I was at the Star Trek convention in Vegas a few uh, you know, before the, like a, a while ago, and she was there. And of course, I, I know Roxanne from from 
our work in Star Trek, and um, and she's terrific. And so we had talked about getting together at the convention, but then I it was late at night and blah blah blah. And it, and I thought, well, I can always you know have lunch with her you know in a week or two here in L.A. because she lived in L.A. So I get back to L.A. and I reach out to her to set out lunch, and she's moved to Lincoln, Nebraska. It's like, oh no. <laughs> So, uh, so I'm going to have to fly to Lincoln, Nebraska, at some point, and, and take her out. To she's wonderful. <laughs> she's she's another person I very much want to work with again, and uh, she's she's wonderful. And I've, I'm actually trying to get her to act to come, come back to acting as well. And what about space commit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're yeah. listening, and we know you are, you are. You are. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mark wants you for another project, okay? And yes. we uh, want you to be the next director of a Star Trek movie. I just want to put that out there. That That's why right. is it yeah. Roxanne directing the next Star Trek? Movie? Yes. yes. And when she gets that deal, make yeah. sure you come tell us. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I mean it's it's really it's really fun to be doing all this stuff, and it's it's very meaningful to me. And space, and and I now have my own you know YouTube channel, Mr. Sci-Fi, and yeah, which is really cool. Yeah, sci-fi. It's a lot yeah. going on on that one. I was like, wow, Ooh, baby, I love this. Yes. If you all haven't seen that channel, you need to go on and yeah. see that channel. Like, yeah. it's so cool. And especially if you have any interest in the history of sci-fi at yes. all. Like, there's so much going on on there. Like, you will yeah. you will find, you find what you want. You. <laughs> yeah. And well, you will learn something. Yeah, well, also, you know, one, thing, one thing that's great, and I, I applaud what you guys are doing, is that when I was a kid, there were three networks. And and even when I was writing for the main for the studios and the networks, if you wanted to create science fiction TV or whatever, you had to have millions of dollars, you had to shoot on film, you needed a studio or a network, or even in books, you needed a major publisher. Mm-hmm. And thank God now, none of that is true. You can get a YouTube channel for free, you, you can edit on a computer, you can shoot with your phone, you can yep. get mm-hmm. your, your voice out, you can get, get, get you know, what you care about out into the world. And I think that's terrific. I just, I just wrote a new book um, called Greenlighting Yourself. And it's going to be Ooh, coming out. I'm buying it. it. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be coming in the next few months. Yeah, from Silman James, my publisher. and But it's about, again, how we can make this happen. Because my fans gave me $3 million to build my own studio and start shooting Space Command. Wow. And that came from me okay. my audience. And so, so I wrote, our fans, if you're listening, yeah. <laughs> I hope you are. <laughs> the account to drop the money in is. Yes, but that's why I wrote, that's why I wrote this book, to basically free people from thinking that they need the studios or the networks to wave the magic wand. And, and make their dreams come true. We can all make our dreams come true just by, you know, there's power in numbers, you know? I mean, yeah. when I was a kid, one thing I didn't mention was when I was a kid, they were going to cancel Star Trek at the second season. And I was a little kid with a, with a sign picketing NBC <laughs> with all the other Star Trek fans with B. Joe Trimble. Yes. And I was with You and me, Mark. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and NBC got a million letters and they, they renewed the season for a third, third they renewed the, renewed the show for a, th- a third season. And without that third season, there's no telling if Star Trek would have thrived in, um, in syndication, which is right. what it wouldn't have been enough episodes. Right. Yeah. And so, and so even then it was all of us, the fans recognizing that this thing was a value when the studio itself and the network itself didn't, you know, so, um, so we have power. We just have to use it. And now, you know, we got to keep, keep the vote. You know, got to keep. Uh, that's uh, right. Yeah, that's right. That is important. I mean, like, I mean, understatement, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have another question. I have yeah. another question. You said I could ask anything. So here's of my course. question. Please. You've been in all of these writer rooms in all yeah. of these different shows and this yeah. and that. And Star Trek, you know, diversity, we praise it and we love it. And, you know, yeah. creators of mm-hmm. Far Beyond the Stars. But why do you suppose that we haven't seen Black writers in the Star Trek writing room? 
it's an interesting question. Well, here, well, even to, to, to uh, discuss racism a little more, even more directly, when I was, when I started writing for live action TV shows, I would literally have to say in the script, this is a Latino nun, this is a black, you know, I would have to really call it. And, and the, my bosses would say, well, can we make this a white character? Can, and I, I would say no. And mm-hmm. I would, I would draw the line. I would say no. And, and when I was, for, my first staff job was a story editor on Friday the 13th series. And that's when half of the episodes would be written in house and half would be freelance. And we would often do page one rewrites on the freelance scripts because they didn't know the show as well as we did the characters and all that. But um, so every day they were sending in writers to uh, pitch to us. And I noticed that all of the writers were white men. So I said, well, let's shake it up. Let's start having in women and people of color. And, and they started doing that. And this is like the late 80s or the, you know, 1987. And, um, and I know, so what I saw was that it wasn't that the racism was deeply entrenched. It's just you needed somebody to say, hey, let's do it differently. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then we and many of the writers who came in, it was their first sale, and then they went on to have careers in in TV. But um, but but you have to be extremely. It's funny for many many years they would talk about diversity, but they didn't mean it. It was just lip service. Right, of course. Now, mm-hmm. see the color they really care about is green, and with Shonda Rhimes making them tons of money, now mm-hmm. you start to see black lead roles, Latino, etc. One thing I did in Space Command was one of our lead, one of our continuing characters is a Latino, Victor Manso. And I said to him, I want very much to do, um, uh, you know, storyline in uh, Spanish, entirely in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And so during the pandemic, we actually did a two hour bonus episode that our, the actors shot their own scenes in their own homes with their own cameras with us, you know, overseeing it via zoom and all of that and i actually wrote a role that victor you know had a scene a great scene uh, where he's talking to his father and he's introducing his fiance and the father's estranged and it's this really heartwarming character scene entirely in spanish and again as you read the subtitles you it falls away that it's in spanish you're mm-hmm. just interacting with those people and it's my favorite scene in the entire thing and uh, but the reason there's no black women in the writer's room, I, since I'm not in those writer's room, I can't answer that question other than, the, than to say that there should be, you know, but, it, but it really, but I, I, I wonder why there, there isn't more, uh, why there aren't talented writers in those, in the Star Trek writer's room, you know, I mean, I don't know, I mean, let, let's put it this way. Yeah. I'm with you, I'm yeah. sorry, I've, I've I, put some folks on blast already. Yeah. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the quality that I'm used to having, and I'm not getting it. No, it's, <laughs> so. you know, well, you know, you have to, you know, what what guides me in my writing is compassion. Com- I need characters who are courage- courageous, compassionate, who reach out to others and and reach across boundaries and barriers. I mean, my heroes are heroes because they're coming from the heart mm. and doing the right thing. They're not heroes because we say they're the hero. You know, it's right. like it's like for me, Star Trek Discovery and Picard. What I've with the first season at least was they have the shape of Star Trek without having the heart of Star Trek, in my opinion. And then they're not doing a good job of character development. I don't know who these people are, you know, and, you know, yeah, yeah. But it's like, but, you know, I've heard Prodigy is good. I've heard Lower Decks is good. I haven't had a chance to get to them yet. Mm-hmm. But, um, but you know, um, all, all I can do is take responsibility for my own work. And so with Space Command, that's what I'm doing. You know, we had mm-hmm. you know, wonderful Mira Furlan, whom we lost, but she's great in it, in, in mm-hmm. the, the episodes we got to have her in. And, uh, you know, but again, it's just, you know, you just, you, but, but also you have to remain open to the world. You have to remain open to suffering, 
of others, you know, you have to, you have to keep your heart open. You know, I, that's fortunately my wife. Um, I've been with my wife for 45 years. We've been married for 44. We write and direct and produce together and we combine our ages. We're 142 years old. And, uh, <laughs> but, but you look you know, great. Right? <laughs> talking and talking. I, I tell my friends that I'm, I'm tempted to run off, run off these shirts for all of us, all of my friends that just say ambulatory, you know, oh. and, uh, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, um, and, and, uh, but, but the point, but the point is, you know, it's like the reason I have my own studio now, the reason I'm doing space command, the way I'm doing it is because I don't want the studios or the networks to decide what of mine gets made. Mm-hmm. If I have, if I have a passion for something, I want to be able to get it made my, you know, that's, that's it, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, and also these wonderful actors, like, like, you know, all these wonderful actors, Michelle, everybody, Nick, you have everybody yeah, in there. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm giving them roles that are worth doing and uh you know not just uh you know empty bullshit you know so yeah. you know it's yeah i'm so i can't so in terms of, of star trek discovery god knows i mean um you know i i think it's the same flaw that infected a lot of the recent star wars movies where you say well we're just going to make it different than it's been and but sometimes different isn't the right answer the right answer is follow an emotional line yeah mm-hmm create characters we care about and have them do, um, you know, acts of the, you know, of bravery of, mm-hmm. and not, that doesn't mean jumping off a mountain. It means, you know, saving someone who deserves to be saved, taking the hard choice, the selfless choice. It's, it's, it's all this. I mean, you know, the characters in Star Trek prior to this were heroes. They were actual heroes. I, you know, there's so many characters on discovery. I can't figure out what the deal is. It's like, you know, um, what's her name? The one from the evil universe who's supposed to be. Sure, like, Joe. Yeah, I mean, you have her eating, you know, uh, you know, uh, Doug Jones's race, and then Anglia, yes. And somehow, suddenly, we're supposed to kind of like her and find her whimsical. Because, but she has one; she's one gag over and over and over again. It's like this is not a character. This is I don't know that blah. blah. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> you know, so, but yeah, we could. We I know. Kind of go yeah. down the I, know. I feel like there's room room for growth. I mean, like I keep yeah. rooting. I, I'm. I'm I, I like it. Yes. Yeah. You know yes. what I'm saying? Like I, yes. I will watch it and I root. Yeah. And of course, like I'm, uh, I root Sonequa Martin-Green every week. Mm-hmm. gives mm-hmm. these amazing performances. Like the, the talent on there is mm-hmm. amazing, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But I look for storytelling. I know. You know? I mean, I'm a, I'm a writer at heart. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I know it's not easy. I, I mean, I I have not published a thing in my life, mm-hmm. but it is the thing that I like to do when I'm not doing other things, mm-hmm. <laughs> like making money. But you've like read enough stuff, to know, yeah. you, know? you know. And I and I'm an avid reader, yeah. and I know what a good story is. I know what a tight story is, and I know when I'm getting a lot of extra dialogue that I don't yeah. need. Like yeah. I know how to self-edit. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, you know, it's like. But here's here's the other thing. I mean the science fiction we love it it actually knows what it's saying it has a point it it's it's not clutter and noise and mm-hmm. it's just you know I, it's like for instance you know um one of the things that, that people tend not to notice or talk about is the fact that that whole generation of of writers in the 60s uh the, and, and 50s uh rod serling and and gene roddenberry and so forth they all went through world war ii so these, I, I, I you know, I, with Rod, when he came back from the war, I refer to that whole generation of men as young old men, because mm-hmm. they lived, they saw life and death, they, they saw their own mortality, they saw suffering, they were, 
deepened by the war, by that experience. And so Roddenberry was that way. And, and so was, so was Serling. And so they had something to say. They had something to get off of their chest. And, um, and I think a lot of the TV writers you have now have watched, just watched TV and they don't really, they're, they're faking it. You know, they're, they don't have a lot to say or anything to say. And I think that's, you know, when, when they say what's, what are most, you know, TV shows and movies about, you say, well, they're about an hour or two hours, you know, that's it, you know, <laughs> it's like, they're not, a <laughs> you know, and, um, but that's where, where I was so, so lucky. Is to that be. why you think we have so many reboots? Because I'm always amazed that yeah. yep. it's just like, yeah. where is the original stuff? And yeah. I'm, Yes. Well, that's why that's yes, because the executives want to keep their job. And so if they look at something that was successful and they say, okay, we'll just redo this successful thing. If it tanks, at least they may not lose their job. Whereas Mm -hmm. if they risk with something that's original, they probably will if it tanks and most things tank. Um, But, you know, but again, see, the lovely thing about the journey that I've been on is that I don't have to worry about any of that stuff anymore. All I have to do is, you know, worry about what I'm doing. I mean, we're talking to Netflix, we're talking to Amazon. If they want to pick up Space Commander, the other shows that I'm doing, the new Rod Serling show that I'm going to be doing, all these other things, you know, we're doing six series. It's called the Showrunners wow. Network. And, um, but if they, if they want to partner with me, that's fine, but they don't, they don't get to say what I'm doing, you know, wow. and the, the show I'm creating with Rock is called Sweet Haven. And it stars Barbara Bain, Veronica oh Cartwright, my God. Veronica <laughs> Cartwright, Michael Harney, Bob Picardo, um, Ethan Phillips. I mean, it's it's a wonderful cast, and yeah. uh, and uh, so the so we we've written the pilot. Now we're going to be shooting it in the next few months. You know, and awesome. we go. You know, it's it's fun, fun, fun. Listen, fun. you get something with Cinnamon Carter in it. You know, I'm watching that. <laughs> <laughs> Barbara Bain, you just said the magic yeah. words. Yeah, she's <laughs> wonderful, and get Gates with Badness in it too. Uh, so Gates with Badness in it as well, and uh, so it's going to be fun. But again, I'm you know, and but but Christina Moses, we have a couple of projects we, we're going to be doing together, and uh, you know, because if you ever never seen World Enough in Time, that's on my on my channel. It's uh, the Star Trek New Voyages episode I co-wrote and directed and executive produced, and that's where Sulu has it's the ultimate Sulu episode. George Takei stars in it, and I cast Christina Moses as his daughter. And uh, it's a phenomenal piece of work. I'm very proud of it. And uh, it's worth, so you might want to check that out. Because I said to George, when I, when I invited him to be in it, I said, you never got the Sulu episode you deserved. You never got the great Sulu episode. And mm-hmm. I said, this is it. And this is, this is it. And I said to him, when we were shooting it, I said, a year from now, we will be in Japan screening this episode uh, to an audience. And then afterwards, you'll be answering questions in Japanese and I'll be answering questions in English because he's fluent in Japanese. And I said, a year after that, we'll be nominated for the Hugo. And that's exactly what happened. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait to watch that. I have yeah. not seen that it's yet. But I, Definitely gonna watch I'll be that. Firing that up tonight, probably. Yep. <laughs> you know what always gets me too is that everybody always talks about Shatner's episode in Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. and they rarely, if ever, talk about George Takei's episode yes. in Twilight Zone. Yes. And it's yeah. like you haven't seen the one where he's in the attic with the crazy he's white crazy. man. What? Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of us haven't because yeah. guess what? Guess which one episode didn't get played that much? It yeah. wasn't in syndication. It wasn't in syndication for many years. And uh, it's very uh-huh. funny because I was trying to figure out why it wasn't in syndication because I couldn't come across anything about it. So I said, well, the, the George Takei's character say his parents were, you know, signaled the planes into Bomb Pearl Harbor. But there was no case of japanese americans um being traders to the u.s during uh, during the war and maybe they were docked so that i was a guess 
but um, but then then it wasn't coming out on DVD. It wasn't coming out on on home video. So I said to Rod's widow, Carol, I said, why why is this episode not being released? And she said, Oh, because you said in the Twilight Zone companion it was racist. I said, No, 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 Carol, no, <laughs> release it, please release it. Oh and they did, they did, and so I wow. Like, um, so, um, well, yeah, if you're I, listening, I, it's on Paramount Plus TV. Yeah, so yeah you could get yeah. it there. Go to the yeah. Twilight Zone channel. It is there. Oh, yeah. I saw it the other day. Well, it was it was it was really fun because I got. To, I produced the Twilight Zone Blu-ray set and I got to do 52 commentaries. So I did an, a commentary on that episode with George Takei and the director, Robert Butler, who was actually the first director of Star Trek. He directed The Cage. Yeah. And just to sit down with them and talk through that whole episode was just just oh. such a gift, you know? Yeah. Yeah, go to the sci-fi guy and watch the Twilight Zone episode there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Watch it there. Watch yeah. <laughs> it there. Not He's got plus. the rest of the stuff on it there. Right, 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 right. It's an amazing episode. If you, I mean, and I know there's like a, there's a couple of Star Trek episodes that don't really go into rotation so much. You know, the one where they go where they are in uh, the Nazi uniforms. You know, yes. it's not shown in some places. So there yeah. are definitely a few episodes yeah. that get kind of pulled yeah. back. Yeah. But if you can find this one with George Takei, yeah. it is amazing. It's great. It's great. And, and but yeah, there's the gremlin on the wing. Yes. <laughs> well, the fun the funny thing is like. You know, Star Trek and the Outer Limits and Twilight Zone, they're not, every episode is not a jewel. I mean, the Space Hippies episode of Star Trek, you know, know, it's like, and and I'm embarrassed to say that I know all those songs from that episode. So it's like, as well you you should, young man. Uh, Man, but it's, uh, but I mean, again, it's wonderful to be shaped by such good hearted material. You know, it's, we, we, I mean, thank God for science fiction, you know, and, uh, you know, and uh, I, I've and I was very lucky to be here in L.A. growing up because that's how I got to. Well, I actually even went on the set of Star Trek when I was a kid. Uh, Christmas, I got it for a Christmas present. I was on the set of the last episode of Star Trek ever shot, Turnabout wow. Intruder. And so wow. I got, to, I sat in the captain's chair. I stood on the on the transporter and saw the little screw-in light bulb, you know, <laughs> above. It and, was meant uh, to be, Mark. It was meant to be. Great. It was totally. <laughs> wonderful. So yeah, so it's been it's been terrific, a terrific time. We're so so grateful that um you spent set had some time to sit down with us and and talk. I mean, it's really been so cool, like a delight. You yes. know, I mean, it's it's been a delight. It's been awesome to hear all these wonderful things and you know, uh, knowledge that uh, and aspects and viewpoints that we wouldn't have heard before we wouldn't have known in fact yes. i mean thank you so much of course thank us. you thank yeah, you, thank you. Yeah, it's, yeah. Been a, it's been a joy it's been a joy um you know talking with you and and again if there's a one message to be taken from all of this it's like speak your truth and don't stop you know it's like it's not about they'll try to shut they'll try to shout you down all mm-hmm. of us when we speak the truth because the truth is not comfortable for those who are trying to rob us of our basic rights and the reason i love television is television is very loud and when it manages rarely on occasion to speak the truth that's a truth that goes all around the world and it lasts for last year, forever year, year, you know mm-hmm. so so thank like you those words brother betty yeah yeah <laughs> well so thanks guys and and if you're if you ever get to la when the pandemic's done if it ever finishes you're welcome to come visit my studio and and see oh this don't set, even think I won't. be careful what you ask for, Mark. No <laughs> joke, because you are gonna wake up one day. We're gonna be like, hello. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll show you one thing in, in in parting. Over here, I own I own among the things I own via my studio are, are seventeen spacesuits. 
So the oh one, my god, it's the, the yeah, uh, the one with Spock in it is the Tholian web spacesuit. That yes, we, when we shot the George so, K episode, we, we, you guys can't see this, but yeah, we, we, we're we, looking we at something really yeah. cool. <laughs> the the, the web space. You might have to yeah. do a little. You might yeah. have to do. You have to clip this out so everybody yeah. gets this. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god! Watch the so Tholian cool. web. Yeah. Look at Spock's uh, suit. Yeah. It's, and you will see what we just got to see. Yes. It's a it's, it's silver lame. It's like a Las Vegas spacesuit. It's great. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you all. It's been wonderful having our time together. I'm I'm happy to do it anytime. And 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 if you're in LA, definitely come and see the alien spaceship we're building and all that stuff. Hey, Mark, you want to um, let people know where to find your yes. stuff? On yes. It's it's the Mr. Sci-Fi. That's S C I hyphen F I Mr. Sci-Fi channel on YouTube. And uh, if you forget that, just remember Mark Zickery and Twilight Zone Companion, and you can find your way via the internet to me. And Mr. Sci-Fi is free, and uh, you can watch the first hour of Space Command there. You can watch World Enough in Time. You can watch all the all the stuff I'm up to. Awesome. Awesome. Yvette, awesome. you want to let folks know where they can write us or get in touch with us? Sure. You can find us at scifisisters.com. That's S-Y-F-Y-S-I-S-T-A-S dot com. Join us on The Mothership. That's M-U-T-H-A-S-H-I-P. And the Sci-Fi Sisters Book Club, both on Facebook. Download the Trek Geeks Network app, where you can find us and our family of podcasts on the Trek Geeks Network. On Instagram, sci-fi.sisters. And we are also on the Twitter, at Sci-Fi Sisters. After listening to this podcast, podcast please rate us and write a review we may read it on an upcoming episode thank you and also those views on disco that i stated those are mine alone to mia's so if you have hate mail you can send them to me send me some too because i have problems with disco too i'm I'm having some issues (laughs) and i'm standing by it and i'm speaking my truth (laughs) (laughs) thanks everybody for listening we can't wait to see you uh soon in the universe around the way on the next planet first star to the left and on till morning etc goodbye bye-bye <laughs> peace love and hair grease hey y'all are you looking for that perfect holiday or birthday gift for that special geek in your life why not check out the world's first app enabled triple from jay and kalia at science division These soft and cuddly fuzz buckets actually trill for friends and squeal at Klingons. Adopt your triple today at Science Division. That's sciencediv.com. Science Division. By fans, for fans. Trouble's never been this fun. 